Broadcasting live from the Piragua Cart. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm your other host, Garrett Strother. We got a great show for you this week. We're doing In the Heights. Excited as heck to talk about that, but first we're going to jump into some news here. Seamus, I'm so glad you introed that like we're a late-night talk show. We got some great Ooh, news uh... for you. Coming up next, <laughs> the RIPs, here it comes. <laughs> oh, Jesus, yeah, you're right on that. Which, speaking of, this week we lost legendary character actor Ned Beatty, most known for his roles in films like Network, and of course, Lotso Huggin' Bear in Toy Story 3. Yeah, he, looking at his filmography, he really was in, like, everything you wouldn't really expect. I guess I remember him mostly from Toy Story 3, for sure. Kind of because he, I guess, looks like that bear a little bit. But he was in all the Superman movies back in the day. He was a he was a top class henchman. He really did get a, a lot of decent work. Deliverance, I see. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. We talked about him in Rango when we covered that for the show. What feels like a million years ago. The scheming mayor in Rango. He yeah he plays like a good evil guy a lot, doesn't he? It's a shame to see him go, but he left behind a great legacy. Absolutely. Moving on, though, we've got some casting news coming up, including uh, Jessica Henwick has joined Knives Out 2, who I primarily knew from Game of Thrones as one of the Sand Snakes, but apparently is also in the upcoming Matrix 4, so she's getting some work, bro. Excuse you, she was also one of the main characters in Iron Fist, the best Marvel Netflix show. What a fool I've been. Of course, how dare you? She was also in Star Wars, I think, in some kind of compat like as a I think she's like a random resistance character. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think I only know her from Iron Fist, but she was one of the genuinely good parts of that show, I think. She had a lot of good physicality. She was very good at like the choreography for the fights and stuff. I don't know how that's going to go in Knives Out 2 as much, but you know, I think she's pretty capable in general, so that's pretty exciting. This definitely didn't hit the podcasting calls that we'd already made for Knives Out 2. I think the closest we got was like I called Mary Elizabeth Winstead who's, you know, another young actor of approximately the same age. But, no, I'm excited to see what this role entails. Definitely has a different feel age-wise and experience-wise from the other actors that have been chosen. Knives Out 2 is such a mystery plot-wise, so she could really be playing anybody, really. I Like I said, I know her from Iron Fist. She could be playing another, like, kind of badass. Who knows? And then in other casting news of stuff that we've been covering forever, it feels like, Hiroyuki Sonata has joined the cast of John Wick Chapter 4. I like him. I feel like anytime I see him in something, I am pretty happy with his performance. He was just in uh, Mortal Kombat, which we covered a couple weeks ago. I really definitely know him from The Wolverine, which is like another one of my apologist movies that I really genuinely like. He plays a similar role, really, in Mr. Holmes, because he's the guy that walks Holmes around. Does he go to Hiroshima in that movie? I think so, yeah. I feel like I usually see this guy in pretty serious roles. I mean, like, even in The Avengers, he was the guy who's being, like, slain by a vengeful Hawkeye, too. So, like, that's not a super light thing to be doing. 
I didn't watch Army of the Dead yet, but I think, yeah, he was in Army of the Dead. Yes, he was. I did remember seeing his name. I haven't seen that yet either, but I'm actually genuinely interested in seeing that one. But Seamus, do you think in John Wick Chapter 4 he'll only speak in Chinese until the very end where he goes, Get over here! in perfect English. I truly hope so. I We missed out on all those get over here's, so he's got to make up for it in John Wick 4. So much video game news coming down the pipeline, though, because this week it's been E3. Just so much stuff. I'm just going to run it all down and then we'll hop around and and talk about what we want to talk about in more depth. Starting us off, Elden Ring is finally coming out January 2022, one of the most anticipated uh, From Software games, years in the making. And speaking of years in the making, the long, long, long awaited Starfield is coming exclusively to Xbox and PC in November 2022. Ubisoft showcased their Avatar Frontiers of Pandora game, which is coming from Massive, who's also working on a Star Wars game. So lots of big open world Disney stuff coming down their pipeline. And speaking of Disney sci-fi, Square Enix's Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, plus we've got Microsoft's showcasing of Halo Infinite, Forza Horizon 5, Outer Worlds 2, and a bunch of other stuff, all confirmed to be coming to Game Pass day one at launch. And lastly, Nintendo wrapping us up with Breath of the Wild 2 coming in 2022, Metroid Dread, the series' return to the 2D platformer, and a Mario and Rabbids sequel. Just a whole lot of stuff out of this E3 here. I mean, I watched the Square Enix showcase that I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer live as it happened. I think we kind of disagreed a little bit on our thoughts on that. I was a little more optimistic about it than you were, I think. I think this game looks real bad because I think the concept of making a Guardians of the Galaxy game and only letting you play as Star-Lord shows such a fundamental misunderstanding of its source material that it's going to take a lot to get my goodwill back from that initial concept. I very much do agree about that. I feel like it would be interesting to have that rotating player function, but I also think a big part of this Guardians of the Galaxy game is going to be the developers trying to distance themselves as much as possible from the train wreck that was the Avengers game that Square Enix put out last year. Switching between characters in that game, I think, left a lot of them feeling a little more hollow than they could have, and hopefully this attention to playing as Star-Lord means that they'll be kind of giving that extra special attention to the the gameplay of this one specific character and there are like whatever special moves where you can call in your guardians buddies but that isn't as exciting as maybe playing as them all oh i do appreciate the idea that they're still going to be integrated into combat like i think we've talked on the show and definitely off the show about how games like uncharted where the characters that you're with the npcs helping you in combat going along with you on those journeys do so much to help the story being told and make you feel invested in the characters' relationships. And so I do think that is a promising note, but I'm still kind of like, it also has that Square Enix Avengers syndrome of, hey, look, we changed everybody just enough from being their actor counterparts from the MCU it's like the um, stunt double gag from Spaceballs. Yeah, 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 definitely. 
uh, yeah, I think Groot looks good, but that's hard to mess up. And then you're right, everybody else looks like a Disney actor at Disneyland walking around in costume. Because even Rocket has his weird, like, goatee. Yeah, he's got his pirate beard. It's his, like, braided chin beard like Jack Sparrow. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not about it. But let's talk about some other stuff, namely the fact that I think it's insane that Xbox is having all of their AAA titles hitting Game Pass on launch, and something that PlayStation is really going to have to figure out how to combat. Yeah, man, Xbox has absolutely been kicking PS Plus's ass. The last couple months, even, through PS Plus have been, like, pretty, you know, mediocre-ish games. But this is, like, he... Like... Again, even when the PS5 was announced, I think, they were talking about even more expansions on the Game Pass and the free updates and backwards compatibility, and it's truly, like, staggering how outpaced PlayStation is right now. I don't think that Xbox has the leg up in terms of the quality of its titles or even the quality of its hardware. Xbox has the leg up in that you can play just a crap ton of games cheap, And that's a huge selling point for me, man. I don't have a ton of money to spend on video games. And I think this Microsoft announcement, though, is going to draw a lot of people in for sure. That that Game Pass is so alluring. Well, I'm glad it's it's brought about the return of poor boy Seamus to the show. Yep, there it is. That's That's my first one back in a while. And then rounding out our news is the new Lord solar power single and video which i think dropped like right before our episode came out last week yeah what did you what did you think of this one man i i I gotta say it didn't really do much for me i think it is a bop i think it's a fun like 70s it feels very age of aquarius-y to me yeah the 70s are back that's for sure. We're seeing a lot of that coming into the zeitgeist more than like, like less intentionally and directly than like the 80s nostalgia that really started like 10 years ago. Mm, yeah. Just the aesthetics of the 70s are kind of back and I really dig that. I think the song is pretty good even though it doesn't feel as much like a Lord song to me. I've been seeing a lot of that people saying that. It's like it's not like the old Lord when, yeah, I mean, I think very obviously she's trying to move forward with her career in a different direction. I feel like I enjoyed the video more than the song itself. There's so much palm muted guitar. I feel like it felt a little uh, empty, maybe for me, but I very much enjoyed that video. The video is so impressive. On the beach with those long takes and the really um, intricate choreography that would be hard to execute on that kind of, literally on a beach. Yeah, she's dancing on a raft in the water at one point, no? Mm -hmm. Like, that's pretty pretty impressive. Very Midsommar-esque, like, beach cult video that I, I very much enjoyed. Well, I think I probably enjoyed the song more than you did, but I think we can agree the video is pretty rad. Oh, yeah. And I'm excited to see more from Lord. Yeah, I, I'm actually very genuinely interested to see the direction she's trying to go in now, especially because of, you know, like you and so many other people are saying, it's it's a new kind of sound and it's, I, I like to see artists like that experiment, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So what you're saying is, Seamus, you, you like it when there's musical artists hanging out on a, on a tropical beach? Yeah, I guess I could say that. Well, have I got a movie for you then? Coming up next uh, on our In the Heights main segment. 
This week's main segment, we're talking about In the Heights, recently released on HBO Max, based on the Broadway musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda, directed by John M. Chu, an absolutely wonderful summer movie, I think. This is, without a doubt, the best HBO Max Warner Brothers release, I would say. Like, I, it, there's not stiff competition for that title. Yeah, maybe not. And I think it is just such a treat. There's so much energy to it. The performances are so energetic, charismatic. Those characters feel lived in in a way that I feel like often the environment and characters of a stage production turned film don't translate super well. They feel either two-dimensional or like they just belong in a play. And this felt like a film. Decisions were made filmically with those elements from the musical retained but adapted to be as much of an original experience as possible. So many changes were made. It like really feels on location. The musical numbers feel integrated into their environments on location. It's a really stellar adaptation. Absolutely, man. I think it's like, it's one of those movies that you can feel that theater energy behind it, but it's so much more than that in, you know, taking those beautiful cinematic techniques and just like elevating it to the point of, like you said, it really is a brand new kind of experience. And I think I had, I think I agree with you that it is the best HBO Max Warner Brothers release yet. And it's going to be hard to top. This is the only one that's made me just very openly cry at like 10 in the morning. (laughs) We should talk about, you know, details. Probably Anthony Ramos is great as Usnavi. Oh yeah. He's, he's electric. He's got great charisma, but the cast is, in this thing is insane. The main four are Anthony Ramos, as previously mentioned, Melissa Barrera, Leslie Grace, and Corey Hawkins, who I feel like we talk about all the time on this show, even though he's not in that much. It felt like maybe the two main couples that we kind of follow through it, I feel like some details from one couple could have been integrated better in the other couple itself, but I guess that's more of just like story notes. Maybe in spoilers or even off pod you can tell me that because i'm interested to hear you expand on your thinking there i think it's really the tone and the filmmaking on display that makes this such a powerful film i think i mean the story being told and the character work is good the acting is superb oh definitely it is some of the most emotionality i've seen on screen in a in a great drama like this that I've seen in a long, long time. I'm trying to decide how much I can say with, without it constituting spoilers, but the way that John M. Chu is a really skilled director at integrating effects into his films, like the opening of Crazy Rich Asians, where it's definitely the best integration of social media I've ever seen on screen. It doesn't feel clunky, it feels natural and like a necessary aspect of the storytelling. And he's not doing as much of like portraying technology in this film, but... He's doing things that wouldn't have been in the stage version to help amplify the emotions and inner states of the characters by overlaying digital effects. You think about the beginning of 96,000 where there's like lines dancing around the character's hand gestures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or um, a scene where characters dance on the side of an apartment building like Spider-Man. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about, too. I haven't seen In the Heights on stage, so it's possible that they did do wire work or a rotating set or something to accomplish that. But it's just, again, this elevation of a character's 
mindset, a character's emotional state, by really successfully integrating added on effects the subtlety of like those animations around their hand gestures or like there are even some moments with uh vanessa where she she kind of witnesses a little bit of inspiration here or there that like the scale of something like that probably wouldn't be able to be achieved without visual effects or on stage even at all it's all just super well directed john m chu i feel like every other week we're saying oh john m chu got tapped to direct this thing and yeah he's a good director i think this one is gonna it's a modern classic at this point it's it's one of the best like big budget musical films that i've seen in the last i don't know however many years that seems like it's going to last a long time just the messaging behind it, the themes the championing of all kinds of diversity it's it's fantastic with that i think we need to talk spoilers because i want i want to get some details on this yeah let's let's jump into it man well you alluded to earlier vanessa's big number where she runs out into the street and there's the fabric everywhere Mm -hmm. her running down the street pulling out through her eye back into the beauty shop that is all just an astounding sequence absolutely oh man very visually striking watching a lot of this movie got me just like hyped in my seat just the way the music comes in so incredibly naturally feeling maybe it's just the cadence of how usnavi can speak and then get into that rhythm with his speech and then just bleed right into a song a lot of the times in this movie but these musical numbers were so fantastic you know we were talking about how natural it feels as a film it doesn't have the feeling that so many stage to film adaptations have of open now the music starts it all feels in that rhythm that that pace of the musical numbers is maintained i almost want to just get into the stuff about vanessa that i have to say okay i, I want to hear just, it like we were just talking about how engaging and how natural the music was but i feel like a lot of vanessa's story and that bleeds through into a, a good amount of the numbers that she's a part of that really wasn't getting me that much like it wasn't compelling me as much as i think the movie wanted me to be compelled by vanessa and usnavi being together or vanessa's decisions to leave school or moved to downtown and stuff i don't know that for for whatever reason like i know they were trying to pull those strings of like oh she's the character who has that guilt about leaving you know the heights about like trying to do bigger and better things but then when it came around to her like explaining that to people trying to express her side of things it always made me like her less for some reason maybe that is possibly a byproduct of having to cut stuff for a film adaptation that that story does feel the least fleshed out for sure even compared to like jimmy smith's is the father of nina and his arc feels more rounded to me than vanessa's definitely i read a lot about how i mean obviously for a broadway production it's like a four-hour thing they have to cut plenty and i think that it must have been a major part because i think i agree with what you're saying it just didn't feel as important maybe as anything else and it's the only time that the story feels cut again i know we keep talking about this the idea of movie musical adaptations so often feel incomplete they just feel like a abridged version of a bigger story this does not feel that way this feels like a complete story most of the time except i think vanessa's story does feel like it suffers from being abridged but that being said other than my 
like small gripes with Vanessa's character and the possibility for stuff being cut already. I feel like everything else was so engaging and wonderful. I loved Usnavi and his... Like, it's not often that you see a character, like, trying to escape America to go back to their poorer, less well-off roots, I suppose. And then I, I was also, like, very... It made complete sense in the end for me that he would end up, like, staying anyway. Staying in the Heights? In the Heights, as it were. The the fake-out of him telling the story to the to his daughter on the beach which is like the frame of the entire movie and turning that into like him and his legacy of building up his neighborhood in the Heights with his store and finding that dream is, is all incredibly touching. And I think a great twist on like the motivations of what would otherwise be like maybe the opposite of what they were going for here. And that fake out doesn't feel cheap either. It's a good reveal. It's a satisfying reveal. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, they kind of pepper it in throughout the, the movie here and there to kind of bring us back to, like, he is, like, speaking about all of these events in retrospect, but then, you know, great musical number right at the end that does that reveal with all the characters showing up on the beach, too. It's it's very well done. We have not talked about Abuela yet, who's, like, the heart of this film. She is the heart of my heart, Garrett. She, it, I, it <laughs> broke when she just cooked to death in that blackout heat wave. Like, that was so sad. Oh, my God. Her musical number was just... I was crying the whole time. It was so, so damn sad. It's really powerful. And Olga Merides, I think is how you must say her last name. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. Is actually who originated the role on Broadway, too. No kidding. That's that's awesome. I've got some other trivia for you, Seamus, about that. You know, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the man himself, plays the... Paragua guy. Love him. He originated the role of Usnavi on Broadway. Okay, I, I, I feel like that makes sense. And the guy who plays Mr. Frosty, the ice cream truck driver that the Paragua guy is competing with, is played by Chris Jackson, who you might recognize as playing George Washington in Hamilton, but oh. also originated the role of Benny on Broadway. No kidding. That's interesting. I love when, you know... They bring in those old people, even if it is for more of just like a cameo role. Like, that's funny. He got to be in that, you know, little after credit scene with the Paragua guy again. And the Paragua guy has that little musical number revolving around him anyway. That's fun. Who I think that's something that they cut. I think the Paragua guy has more of a story and a, and a history. <laughs> those dance numbers were so grand and massive. Just like thinking about the 96,000 community pool song so big and flashy or the uh uh carnival de whatever i forget what that song is called when the salon ladies are moving and they whip up the the whole crowd in the end oh yeah it was like they're so big and it feels like a straight up party going down i can only imagine that they used everything they had for that but you know i heard they cut a lot of like there's a whole like colorism subplot with Benny and other people of the Hispanic community of the Heights. And like we were talking about before, Vanessa's stuff seems like it was cut, snipped in, in other ways. I also know that there has been some criticism circulating about how much of the cast is light-skinned. I have heard that as well, yes. So, I mean, I don't have much to say on that other than that that is stuff that you can go research and kind of learn more about. I'm trying to think what else is there to talk about other than... 
I really enjoyed this movie. The salon ladies were absolutely dynamite. Usnavi has a very funny name. I love that bit where it's just U.S. Navy. That's that's very funny. The fact that this movie is so good, well-rounded, like genuinely entertaining and available like right now for everybody, is just, it, it's hard to conjecture more past like it's incredible and i think everybody should see it it's it's the summer it's the summer movie for me i think yeah i can't think of a better summer movie than this yeah it's about the heat it's about community the paragua guy really makes you want a paragua i mean like i really wanted one the whole time dare i say it is truly about family i, I literally was thinking the same thing <laughs> which this doesn't that's even not gonna play for... yeah <laughs> next week we're covering fast and the furious folks so buckle up can't let fast and the furious bleed into in the heights man <laughs> that's too, that's too much this is a movie that i would really enjoy seeing in a theater i think it'd be fun to see it loud oh, with yeah. the crowd i don't know if i'm ready for that yet but it'd be really fun yeah absolutely i hope is it even in theaters at all or is it only hbo it's in theaters all the warner brothers stuff is theaters and hbo oh man oh well like you can go see conjuring right now shamus i know you were dying oh yeah (laughs) the devil made me do it please that's the only reason i'm here this is for two weeks ago on the podcast i'm not bringing up the conjuring three again the devil made me podcast (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a whole new podcast we're going to start about the wards. All right. That means we've officially run out of In the Heights <laughs> talk. So go see this movie or watch it on HBO, whatever your comfort level is. Pop culture reference approved. Let's move on to our pop culture reference. Today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the Video Game Expo E3, or as it's actually named, the Electronic Entertainment Expo which is an annual video game trade show and industry showcase. It's on its 26th year, starting all the way back in 1995, where the Virtual Boy, the Sega Saturn, uh, and the PlayStation was announced, plus early N64 stuff was showcased. Since then, it's become the largest gaming convention in the United States. Now, several companies have scaled back their presence or even completely abandoned their attendance of E3 over the last few years. The largest of these companies was actually Sony with their PlayStation consoles, and they've been absent since 2019. They've shifted their content to the State of Play shows where Sony directly live streams their own content and doesn't have to share the news cycle with other companies. They will likely have their own State of Play showcase in the coming weeks to be a complement to all of the other gaming news that has been coming out through E3. Similarly, while maintaining their presence at E3, Nintendo has gotten more comfortable with showcasing their upcoming games and making announcements on their own Nintendo Direct streams. A huge data leak in 2019 allowed 2,000 attendees' personal info to be posted publicly on the internet, and their somewhat frantic handling of 2020's cancelled E3 due to the COVID-19 outbreak has some attendees and presenters unsure about the future of the event. But for now, E3 is still going strong. It just wrapped up on June 15th, and we talked about all that news at the top of the show. But gaming news and other updates on recently revealed content will continue to drop over the next several weeks. E3 is definitely like a season where video game stuff is announced. It's not just at E3, as evidenced especially by Sony, who will probably like Seamus mentioned, have that showcase of their own coming up. So tweet us, what do you think? Did you follow the E3 coverage over the last couple weeks? Do you think that E3 is going to be able to sustain itself? Or do you think it's going to be bleeding major presenters and eventually become a relic of the past? Because, I mean, I think Sony and Nintendo have the right idea why pay 
E3 millions of dollars when you can just hold your own press event. I think E3 makes a lot more sense for those third-party developers to give them a platform. But the big hitters, Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, I don't think they really need it. I would almost like to see E3 become just like the independent game studio showcase event. Like that almost could be more interesting. And then, you know, whether you're a Nintendo guy, a Sony guy, an Xbox guy, you can just kind of specifically tune in to whatever major specific events that the other companies are putting on. But yeah, for now, E3's here to stay. So we'll have to see how that landscape shifts over the next couple of years. And I'm looking forward to whatever Sony's got coming down the pipeline. Ooh, me too. But now, how about we kick it on over to Loki Doki? Oh, yes, sir. Now it's time for Loki Doki, where we break down the latest episode of the Disney Plus original series, Loki. This week's episode, we got a couple we got a couple big reveals in there, but uh yeah, are we jumping right into spoilers for this this series? I think, it's so I think all just over. like the other Marvel stuff, it makes sense to just go ahead and hit spoilers right at the top. If you want a non-spoiler review of Loki from the pilot episode, go listen to last week's where it was our main segment. But for now, for episode two, I think we just go ahead, mark spoilers off the bat. Uh Miss Minutes is real, maybe? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Miss Minutes is real and she'll haunt me. Truly. I love Miss Minutes. I want her to be like the real sidekick of this show. Uh, <laughs> Eugene Cordero's here. I hope he's in every damn episode, even if he's just in the background saying, you. Pill boy. Pill boy. I thought the gag where Loki ruins Owen Wilson's lunch is hilarious. He's <laughs> just slowly watching his lunch be destroyed. It was a little played out for me, but yeah, it was funny i think just owen wilson's tired reactions really made it for me just like that's that's not a metaphor it's my lunch like come on dude come on man (laughs) yeah the thing that makes it work is the fact that you know that character already knows where that's going the second loki sits down (laughs) oh yeah and so it's less funny that loki's doing it it's more funny that owen wilson is having to sadly tiredly (laughs) endure the bit more than the bit itself actually being funny. Oh, that's, yeah, that's definitely what it is. And along those lines of, like, all-knowing Owen Wilson, like, we get a little more into that, like, the final destination of the TVA is to, like, serve the Time Lords until everything in the future is written, and then they all just, like, assimilate and meet the Timekeepers at the end of time, is what he said? Owen Wilson, he's not seen the Timekeepers Gugu and Bathara's like, they're all very busy. It's, you know, keep up the good work. They're very invested in your kid. The timekeepers, they don't, they're gone. They're not there. They don't exist. They're either dead or they never existed to begin with. Because (laughs) that is so, oh yes, they're doing, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. They're doing very important work. (laughs) I think uh, maybe your theories are a little, they carry a little more weight than I thought they did originally. That's so so sketchy that they're just like, Owen Wilson is so aggressively saying, don't worry about it, and everything is fine and decided. My new theory is that every single person who works at the TVA is a variant that got their mind wiped somehow. Yeah. And that they're from real timelines that were maybe hit with that uh, reset time charge. I can definitely see that. I don't think the timekeepers created them. I think they have lives and pasts and stuff. I agree. Because how much more tragic is all this going to be when Owen Wilson has like a family that died in the 60s that he'll never get to see again? My daughter, no. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. My friend, Vince Vaughn. I'll never see him again. Wow. (laughs) 
What is he's gonna be one of the timekeepers, isn't he? We Vince Vaughn's gonna be one of the timekeepers. <laughs> Wedding Crashers two, it's coming out. <laughs> I once again want to applaud Loki for being a show that has fully formed episodes, not just teases for whatever's coming next. I am genuinely invested in the story beyond it being a Marvel thing. Like, I think it's really smart and cool. The hiding in Apocalypse's idea is the raddest innovation in time travel that I have heard in a long time. I totally agree. That is, like, the coolest idea for them to to play with there, especially, like, how they show it when they, they pop on back to Pompeii. And Loki's just messing stuff up, and they, they prove that theory, and they're going through all the potential apocalypse scenarios. It's it's so smart, and, like, time travel stuff can be so dumb if it wants to be. And, and especially with what we see when we go to the is, rocks cart. Is this the first appearance of the Rockstone Corporation in the MCU? Have they ever... I, I was actually going to ask you about that. Is this, like, a big box mart thing? Okay, it's going to be Wally. So Roxxon is like kind of the by and large of the Marvel Cinematic, or not the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I guess now though, but in the comics, it's this huge mega corporation. It starts off as like a competitor to Stark Industries, but they have their fingers in a lot of pies. Okay, okay. You know, all those, those mega corporations in the comics that are bad news. You get it. Sure, yeah. Like AIM, everything else like that. Yeah, but this Roxcart looks like evil Walmart, which I think is fun. And yeah. I, ho- seems- I hope we get to see more of the, was it Roxxon, you said? Yeah, Roxxon, and then presumably they have a chain of Walmarts called Roxcarts. Yeah. Interesting stuff. We get a reveal at the end of this episode that I had actually started theorizing after we had recorded last week. That the variant that is slaying TVA members and stealing these time charges is actually Lady Loki. Well, aren't you just a a clever little boy? I still am not entirely sure it's actually Loki, if I'm being honest. It could be another big fake out. But I do think that it's kind of a smart way to, you know, make a complete foil to what Loki could be. Like, evil Lady Loki versus kind of redeemable guy Loki and the way they might play with that. Is there Lady Thor, do you think? Is that, oh, is that where Love and Thunder is going to come in? Yeah, I was going to say, there's Jane Foster Thor. I think it's probably going to open up the door to so much. I think that this series is going to play directly probably into Thor 4, probably play directly into Multiverse of Madness. Oh, totally. I loved the idea, because we don't really know what Lady Loki's plot is right now, but she just, like, carpet bombs the sacred timeline with these time charges that she stole and that's like talk about multiverse of madness i mean it's going wild over at the tva do you think that she's bad or do you think she's no i think it's going to be like she's going to be the one to reveal to us that the tva and the timekeepers are actually evil and that she's like working vigilante style to like take out this fascist time system so real quick i just want to i just want to give an update so we don't get mad marvel people apparently roxon like has been present in the mcu i just didn't notice apparently there are things like the iron man movies have the roxon building in the background or 
at oh. Monaco in Iron Man 2, Roxxon is a sponsor. And <laughs> okay. it's on all those, which aren't technically MCU anymore, I don't think, but the, the Netflix shows, they talk about Roxxon, and they're like it's featured in a one-shot. So it actually is in like... MCU stuff. Wow. MCU stuff, it's just not really been featured Very quite subtle. so prominently. Interesting. It's kind of like in Spider-Man, they have that like Oscorp poster in the background or whatever. It's just like, it's there, we know it's there. They're, they'll do something one day, and now here we are. Now we have a little more importance to it, and now that it is way more in the forefront of something like Loki, I'm sure they will they have big plans for making Roxxon something bigger soon. With Lady Loki and Loki following her through the portal, you think we're getting a nice a nice chat episode <laughs> next week? A nice... Oh, maybe. We're, we're stuck in this room together. Maybe we're... Ooh, do you think they might be going to, going to Ragnarok? possibly oh that would be interesting because that's that's where variant our variant loki originally wanted to go to check out the apocalypse theory that they had now i have a problem with that because i don't think that ragnarok would actually work because there are actually people that escape ragnarok in that file they show it was like entire population destroyed but it's like we know at least a half a ship of them are chilling in norway or whatever because even if you take it as the argument of like well thanos comes and wipes out the rest of them like they very clearly there's a like, couple yeah, they hundred have left. a settlement new asgard that was like a whole thing mm-hmm. so i don't know if the show's gonna address that or not but it seems to me like stuff that you did at ragnarok would still impact the future because Let's say you change one Asgardian's mind or accidentally get one Asgardian killed that was supposed to be in new Asgard. That's going to branch a timeline. That's a branch right there. Uh, They could just like, they could chit chat with Hela maybe (laughs) or something. He explicitly says, if I push the Hulk off the rainbow bridge, I'm like, yeah, bro, Hulk helps save the universe later. You kind of need him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He, he literally is the one who snaps and brings back everyone. Oh, yeah. Very true. He's the only one who can do it. I don't know if if Loki's logic is all the way up and up. It's almost like he skipped some of the instructional videos. Oh, it's like he's not paying attention. Weird. I do like that they're using those instructional video, like, little quizzes to catch us up to speed with a little exposition. Mm-hmm. But it's also fun that he's not giving a damn. Even though it's very in Loki's character to act like he is less invested than he is. Yeah, very true. I mean, this this variant Loki's playing all sorts of mind games. I mean, they start off the episode with him fully trying to screw with Owen Wilson and everybody else at the TVA in at that Ren Ren fair, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, baby. Yeah, I was like, oh, where's the Infinity Train, bro? Where's the Infinity Train? It's funny because there's not a Ren fair in Oshkosh, but there is a Ren fair in Bristol near Kenosha that. <laughs> I'm assuming they chose not to make it Bristol or Kenosha to avoid people being like, you didn't shoot here or whatever, like to avoid any kind of lawsuit, but yeah, they still sure. put it in Wisconsin to make it, you know, it is still that Ren Fair. <laughs> Close enough, yeah. But that was cute. I like that. I'm excited to see, like you said, it might be a chat conversation episode next time, or it could be a portal jumping chase episode, maybe, because... A lot of portals popping up here and there. Lady Loki obviously knows a lot more about like TVA technology and how to screw with it, which is interesting. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of other different versions of Loki and maybe a lot of different versions of other characters in general because Owen Wilson's got that laundry list of Loki variants that they've already dealt with. Oh, yeah. So I'll be very interested to see where that goes. I think that'll be be some fun stuff. 
Also, real quick, Owen Wilson was alive and he owned a jet ski at one point. Like, that's very clearly obvious that his, like, tether to his identity, his real life was through a jet ski. Or do you think that at the end, Owen Wilson's going to have to, like, jet ski to save the day? Because (laughs) they time travel to the 90s and he's got to jump a ramp on a jet ski. Well, it seems to me that the logical next step for Owen Wilson's arc is going to have to be to interfere with the time stream. Like, he's the guy that's going to wake up and be like, oh, Loki, you're totally right. Everything (laughs) is fake and made up, and and we gotta save the universe from Goo Goo and Batha Ra. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, honestly, I bet we're gonna see the Timekeepers next episode, because Goo Goo grabbed that staff or whatever and bugged out to what I assume is wherever the Timekeepers are. That's true. That's very possible. But in that, I think he's going to jet ski. So that's coming. Chekhov's jet ski. Chekhov's jet ski, yeah. But I think I think this wraps us up for this week's episode. I've, we're, we got a lot to look forward to on Wednesday again. Yeah, you got anything else to say? It's a good show, and I'm enjoying it. I'm continuing to enjoy it, which is the most complimentary I've been of any of these Marvel things. So Very true. I hope, I hope it keeps it up for you, man. I'm loving it, too. But let's, let's save the rec center, Seamus. Let's do it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, you ready to go? Yeah, man, I got I got one that I've been hearing about for a while now, and it was actually part of the Play at Home indie bundle that everybody got for free, and I just snoozed on it until now. But with my VR-compatible PlayStation, I finally tried out Astrobot Rescue Mission, which oh, is, it is the absolute most fun and cutest PSVR game I think I've ever played. It's so incredible, and it's like what VR was made to do. It's it's like a fully 3D moving first-person camera view of like a Mario 64-esque adventure, and it's just, it's so much fun. Well, as somebody who adored Astro's Playroom on the PS5, I have been itching to get my hands on a PSVR to try out Mission Rescue, and I'm going to have to hit you up, Seamus. Yeah, next time you're over here for a 24-hour stint, we will play some of that, and it'll be it'll be wonderful, because I'm having an absolute blast. I, I've been, you know, looking forward to playing Astro's Playroom as well whenever I get my hands on a, a PS5, because it looks adorable, and this game just corroborates everything I thought already about it. So you'll definitely try it out next time you're over here. What do you got this week, Garrett? Well, I'm going to go with a film starring the late, great Ned B because it seems fitting. One of my all-time favorite films is Robert Altman's Nashville, a huge ensemble piece about the country music scene in Nashville during the American Bicentennial, where all of the actors were encouraged to develop their own characters and write the music that all of their characters sing. Whoa. It's got an absolutely stacked cast. It is the kind of ensemble that only Altman knows how to pull off where there's so many characters and so much to follow and it all just works including a wonderful enigmatic bit part for Jeff Goldblum who rides a motorcycle and does (laughs) sleight of hand magic oh sure sounds like a pretty Jeff Goldblum-y role you know truly honestly that the way you're describing this sounds like such an alt mini movie. Like I am a big fan and that sounds so compelling. Like the personality that these characters must have and the way he must have directed them has got to be incredible. Lily Tomlin, who's always at the top of her game is 
spectacular. Like, one of the best performances I've ever seen, to be honest. So, check it out. Fantastic, dude. I will. But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on Instagram with that same handle. Like us on Facebook. Email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube, where we have original content in addition to the normal weekly podcast episodes we put out. Next week, we're going to be covering the Fast and the Furious saga. We recently did a 24-hour marathon where we did all eight official Fast Saga installments and Hobbs and Shaw to prep for the release of F9. So it's quite a wild ride. You can check out on my personal Twitter feed at Strother Garrett a brief chronicle of our descent into madness, and I'm really looking forward to putting that episode out next week. Since it is a pre-record, we will not be having news or Loki-Doki and we're actually taking two weeks from now, July 4th, off entirely. So in three weeks, we will be back with a big old news recap and a big old Loki recap. Yeah, those, I'm I'm very much looking forward to those as well, man. They're gonna it, that Fast and the Furious one is gonna be a mess <laughs> altogether when it comes out. It's gonna be so much fun. I I'm incredibly excited for it. You know what the subscribers are, Seamus? Well, I don't know what they are to you, Gary, but to me, the family. I don't got subscribers. <laughs> you. You absolute bastard. Uh, See you next week, everybody. Adios, amigos.